Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Going to the temple to pray was not like going to church to pray for us. The temple was not like a church building where all were gathered together. The temple proper was the holy place with the altar of incense and the most holy place with the Ark of the Covenant. Around this was the priestly court where the altar was, and this was off limits for anyone who was not a Levite or priest. Those who did not use one of these used the other three courts. The outermost court, called the Court of the Gentiles, was for Gentiles. The next closest in was the Court of the Women, which was used by women. And closest to the priestly court was the Court of the Israelites, where the Jewish men were able to enter. At any time, someone could go to the temple to pray privately, However, there were a number of times when the faithful would gather together to pray at the same time. These were the times of the daily atoning sacrifices, which happened at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. During these times, lambs were sacrificed to atone for the sins of the people. After the atoning sacrifice, the priest would offer incense in the temple at the altar of incense. The faithful would gather at the temple wait for the atoning sacrifice to be completed, and then offer their prayers to God when the way was open, their prayers rising and mingling with the incense which the priest offered. This is most likely when our two men go to the temple to pray, and while they both go at the same time and enter the same court, they and their prayers could not be more different. The Pharisees were seen by all as the height of piety, the greatest of men, leaders both in the Sanhedrin and among the people and in synagogues. Tax collectors, on the other hand, were the lowest of the low. They helped the oppressing Romans enforce their rule by collecting taxes owed them, and they had a reputation as cheaters and thieves who charged more than what was actually owed and pocketed the difference. They were on the farthest fringe of religious life. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. This could also be translated, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed thus. Either way, it shows that he sets himself apart. It is not unusual that he stands. After all, this was the posture of Jewish prayer at the time, just as it is with us in churches that don't have kneelers. He stands by himself, with himself. He stands apart from the others who have come to pray. He stands at the head as close as he can get to the priestly court, as close as he can get to the temple and the promised presence of God. In just this action, we can see his own opinion of himself. He stands where all can see, brings himself near to God's presence, and prays in such a way that others would be able to hear. Most prayer at this time was not silent, but it was spoken, at least in a low voice. And so he prays, 
God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. This is probably not all that he prayed. As our Lord said, the Pharisees, as a pretense, make long prayers. But what our Lord reports for us is enough. Now, we might think that such a prayer of thanksgiving like this is ludicrous and that no one, not even a Pharisee, would ever pray this way. Yet it's not at all outside the realm of possibility. If you look at the morning prayers contained in the Talmud, which was organized by rabbis who were the spiritual descendants of the Pharisees, they open with a prayer that goes like this. Blessed are you, O, king, o God, King of the universe, who for you have not made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. And so this Pharisee prays and gives thanks to God. But notice how he does not give thanks to God for the gifts that God has so graciously bestowed upon him. He does not give thanks for anything relating to God at all, but rather he gives thanks for himself. The Pharisee does not consider the gifts of God, nor does he thank him for them, nor ask for anything. He already has himself and his righteousness. In this prayer of thanksgiving, the Pharisee shows what he thinks he needs. Nothing. For already, he's not like other men. He does not petition the Lord or seek his grace that he might be kept on the paths of righteousness. No, in his mind, he doesn't need any of that. In fact, his works are so great that he doesn't need God's grace, his unmerited favor. Rather, God will reward him for what he has done already. Indeed, he must, for he has merited that favor. After all, he is not like other men, not like extortioners, not like the unjust, not like adulterers. He has kept the commandments, which he summarizes in this way. He is not stolen nor extorted from others, nor is he unjust or unrighteous. But on the contrary, his keeping of the law has shown just how very just and very righteous he is. He has not committed adultery. He is faithful. Yet, yes, he is the height of piety, the peak of holiness. Certainly, he is not like the tax collector. There is nothing alike in these two, and he would give thanks to God for that and make sure that others know that as well. Moreover, he has not only not done those wicked deeds that break the law, but he has done all manner of good works too. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. In the Old Covenant, the people were only required to fast on one day of the year. The Sanhedrin had added a couple of other mandatory days to that, which they binded upon the people, and the Pharisees voluntarily practiced even more fasting, fasting twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays. The Pharisee, this Pharisee, did that with the greatest attention. Surely he must have his body under control. He even gives tithes, not only of his income and the food which he grows in his garden, but he gives it based on all that he acquires. This is above and beyond what is required at that time. But let us not go into the opposite direction and say, 
Because the Pharisee, who is obviously bad, did these things, these works are no good. On the contrary, these works which he does are indeed very good. It is good to fast that you might put your body into subjection, as St. Paul says. It is good to give liberally. The problem was not that these works were bad, but it was the one doing them was bad. The problem is that the Pharisee thinks that he is justified by the works that he has done. He thinks that he has made himself righteous by his good works and keeping of the law. He thinks that God must surely look upon him and judge him worthy, judge him just, judge him just and righteous by what he himself has done. He does not trust in God, but in himself. And so he boasts before God and man about what he has done and seeks to be rewarded for his own righteousness. But this righteousness is not true righteousness before God. It's a civic righteousness, a righteousness before man. But God has not declared this man righteous because he is still in his sin. All are sinners, and so we cannot be righteous by our own or on our own terms and by our own works, at least not before God, because all our deeds will be and works will be tainted by sin. Because of this, the Pharisee's prayer is blasphemous, for he's attempting to tell God how to judge him. That is, not according to the measure of God's law, but according to the measure of other men. And it's always easy to judge ourselves righteous in comparison to other men. Just find the worst of them, compare yourself, and you come out looking pretty good. In addition, the Pharisee condemns all these other men instead of helping them. He boasts how he's not like extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or tax collectors, but he does this to condemn them, to prove his righteousness in comparison to them. He does nothing to correct them, to call them to repentance that they might follow the paths of righteousness. They're targets for his condemnation rather than for his compassion even though God calls on us to pull such people out of the fire. And St. James reminds us judgment is without mercy on the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Despite this, the Pharisee is happy to judge without mercy and to condemn without aid those other sinners and to be glad to be seen as set apart. Now compare this with the tax collector. The tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The tax collector's actions show his humility and contrition. <clears throat> he stands afar off. He does not dare approach the holiness of God, for he knows the depths of his sin and he knows that sinners cannot stand in the presence of God and live. He does not even stand with the others, so not as to taint them by association with him. How he would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast. He does not look up, as was the custom of Jews at that time, to do during prayer. For the throne of God is in the heavens, and just as he would not dare approach the temple, he would not dare look up but rather he beats his breast continually, showing his contrition over his sins. 
St. Luke records that at the death of Jesus, the whole crowd came together at the site, seeing what had been done, and beat their breasts and returned home. They were deeply sorry for what they had done, just as the tax collector was here. Finally, see his prayer. It is a most sublime and beautiful prayer, a prayer of high theology that understands who God is, that understands that he is merciful, forgiving, and abounding in steadfast love. His prayer is here translated, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And it's a fine translation, but it misses the heart of the prayer. The verb he uses is not simply be merciful. It's not the regular verb for mercy. Rather, it is be propitiated. That is, be gracious on account of atonement. God be propitiated towards me. The tax collector knows that he does not deserve the mercy of God. He does not merit it. He himself has done nothing to earn God's propitiation, God's forgiveness. But he prays thus, contrite, and repenting of his sins in light of the atoning sacrifice on the altar. He knows and trusts that a broken and contrite heart God will not despise. And so he asks that God would apply that atoning sacrifice that was just made even to him, even to him, the sinner. For that is what he calls himself, not just a sinner, but the sinner. He does not judge himself compared to others, not to the Pharisee, not to other men, not even to those that were worse off than him. But he compares himself only to the holy and righteous law of God and sees just how far he has failed. He sees that he has not lived up to it. In his mind, he is the only one. There is no one else. He is only the sinner. He is like St. Paul who says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. And to end this parable, our Lord says, I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. This man, this tax collector, went down to his house justified. In repentance, he came before God. He acknowledged his sin, which he hated. And in faith, he asked God to forgive him because of the atoning sacrifice. Thus, by faith, he receives God's forgiveness and God justifies him. That is, God declares him righteous in his sight. The Pharisee is not. The Pharisee justified himself before God, relying on his own self-righteousness. But God does not accept it. He does not accept his offering, and so he remains in his sin and is unjust, unrighteous. Thus we see clearly in this parable that it is faith alone which justifies. The Pharisee did not trust in God, did not trust in his mercy and steadfast love and forgiveness. Instead, he trusted in himself that he was righteous. He saw in himself a righteousness that came from what he had both done and what he had left undone. He outwardly looked on others and saw that he wasn't like them. And so he trusted that he was righteous. He exalted himself before God and above his fellow man. And this false 
exaltation brings with it treating others with contempt. After all, our Lord told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. We see how exalting oneself leads to despising others most clearly in our prophecy this morning. For in the epistle to the Hebrews, we learn that Cain did not offer his offering in faith. No, Cain offered his produce and grain, the fruits of the earth, thinking that he deserved to be heard by God, deserved to be rewarded for what he was doing. But God did not regard Cain or his offering, because he exalted himself in this way. And so in envy and anger, Cain murdered his brother Abel. So too all who exalt themselves and so trust in themselves that they're righteous, so also they murder their brothers, their fellow man, for in despising them and treating them with contempt, even if only in the heart, they murder them. If those who exalt themselves, who trust in themselves, do not repent, do not humble themselves before too late, then God will humble them. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. If they do not repent of this, repent of their false righteousness, and plead God for mercy, recognizing their sins, then they will be humbled. Yes, they will be brought low, right to hell itself, for their false righteousness, which they trusted, is proven to be a rotten foundation built on sand. So let us, brothers and sisters, always be wary of such thoughts, of such attitudes. Let us not trust in ourselves, in our own righteousness. Let us not compare ourselves with others or measure our righteousness based on them. Let us not become puffed up and exalt ourselves over those who do not have the truth. Let us not despise others, even the lowliest and most despicable, according to society's judgment. If such exists in us, let us repent of it and plead God for mercy for the sake of his Son, Jesus Christ. For as we said, it is faith alone that justifies, as this parable teaches, faith in Jesus Christ, whose once-for-all sacrifice on the cross paid for the sins of the whole world. The sacrifices of the old covenant temple needed to be performed daily at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. But the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus, the Lamb of God, is one. He was nailed to the cross at 9 a.m., and he breathed his last at 3 p.m., one death to atone for all sin. Hear, brothers and sisters, what our Lord says. He who humbles himself will be exalted. Those who humble themselves, who do not cling to any righteousness of their own, but instead plead God for mercy and forgiveness on the basis of this atonement, receive that which they ask for in faith. Yes, those who are like the tax collector, who are repentant and contrite, forsake their sins and self-righteousness, who confess before God their sinfulness and ask for grace and mercy, will be declared righteous by God, will be justified. And at the proper time, he will exalt these who have thus humbled themselves. He will exalt them even to heaven, to life everlasting. 
not no longer afar off, but in his presence in the new creation. So let us in this way be like the tax collector. Let us always seek the Lord according to his mercy in Christ Jesus. Let us not exalt ourselves, but exalt Christ and what he has done for us, for the world. Let us not measure ourselves according to others, but let us measure ourselves according to God's law. And let us not try to hide our sins, but confess them. Let us, having been justified by faith, no longer walk in the old ways of sin, but instead walk in the newness of life, asking that the Lord would grant us the grace to love him above all and our neighbors as ourselves. For surely the tax collector, after having been justified, after having been forgiven by God, did not go down to his house with the intention to live as he had before, but desired to follow the Lord. Yes, and he was even enabled to do so by God's grace, even so imperfectly. Likewise, let us do the same, not doing so that we may be rewarded or to justify ourselves, but doing so because God has already justified us, has already forgiven us our sins for the sake of Jesus Christ. May God grant to us such true humility, repentance, and faith through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Oh,